Awesome. Thank you. Hey, Amen. Well, good morning, church. Would you go ahead and open your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 3, verses 31 to 34, or 33, rather. How's everybody doing? How many of you started uh, Christmas shopping? Oh, uh, you all procrastinators like me? Amazon all day, every day, right? Okay. Um, Today we're going to continue our series on Making Room, our Christmas Advent series, and uh, we're going to be talking about making room for love, and specifically, I'm going to combine two things this morning that have to deal with where we're at as a church, but also I think where we're at as a, as a community, not only of faith, but as a community of Hawaii, because Christmas is here, yet we're supposed to celebrate. But as a church family, you know, we grieve with the, the Lim family with the passing of Samantha. We still can't just move on with life. We move forward. And even this past week, with the Pearl Harbor shooting that occurred, if you do a quick Google, Pearl Harbor shooting, AP News writes up in 23 seconds. That's all it took for three lives to be snuffed, where the gunmen worked, shot three people, fatally killing two, and killed himself as well. And so there will be mothers today without sons that are grieving. There's fathers, there's neighbors, and um, there's children without their dad. And so we grieve, but yet we grieve in hope, First Thessalonians says. But this morning, I also want to add into this that we grieve with love. We grieve knowing that the consummation of God's love will be fully revealed when Christ returns. But there's something about Christmas I read an article earlier this year that Christmas is a magnifier. That uh, Christmas, that when things are good in your life, Christmas tends to magnify that goodness. I don't know if you can relate, right? That which is good seems better. A good family seems great. A good Christmas party seems fantastic. A good memory even becomes a better one. Christmas magnifies the good. But it could be also said adversely that Christmas magnifies the bad. So if you're struggling, Christmas season can almost make the struggle seem more intense. If you're financially stressed and if you're going through financial crisis, any time of the year is fine, but in December, man, that financial crisis where you feel like you have to buy gifts, that stress seems a little bit heavier and magnified, right? A challenged relationship with extended family is never fun, but it seems to be accentuated during the holidays. And if you normally battle with loneliness, Christmas time may be the loneliest time of all. And so this Advent season, we wait with hope, but we also wait with love. We wait knowing that the steadfast love of God 
upholds us and preserves us. And so this morning, we're gonna turn to Lamentations chapter three. So if we could all stand together, Lamentations chapter three, verses 31 to 33, on the advent of love. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we come before you this morning with humility, with expectancy, with anticipation, O Lord, of your second advent. Lord, we get a taste, a foretaste, Lord God, of your love. But Father, we look forward to the full consummation of your love when you return, Lord. When you will make all things new. Lord, where, they, where the kingdom of God is fully revealed. Well, a place, Lord God, where there will be no tears, no sorrow, no sickness, no death. But until that time, Lord, we live in the kingdom of the now and not yet. The kingdom of God is here now, but it is not fully here yet. So we wait patiently. We watch steadfastly, Lord. And we anticipate, Lord, with love, knowing, Lord, that your love holds us together. We love you, we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So Lamentations is a book that I don't know how many of us are familiar with. It's sandwiched between Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And Lamentations has five chapters. And uh, we get the word lament, Lamentations from lament, meaning it is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. It could mean a wail or a groan or a moan. Now, coincident, not coincidentally, but the way that God uh, designed it, the five chapters of Lamentations correspond to the five laments or five wailings or five groanings of Lamentations. And the reason for this is that in 586 BC, meaning 586 years before Jesus was born, Jerusalem fell. For two years, they, were, they lay siege. Do you guys know what that means? It means that uh, when we visited Masada, it means that they are kept in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, you ascend up into a mountain, and in Jerusalem, if an enemy could not overtake you, they would lay siege of your city, which means no one in and no one out. So if you can imagine Hawaii, if there's no food coming in, no groceries, no meat, none of that, nothing coming out, no water coming in, no water coming out, and this is what happened for two years. And finally, ba Babylon came in, Babylonian army came in and broke through the walls, broke through their sense of security, raped their women. There was starvation, there was hunger, there was suffering to no end 
There was e there's even cannibalism where parents would eat their own children to survive. So it is in this five chapters that there's these laments. There's three voices or three perspectives of lamentations. And in chapter, Lamentations chapter three, you won't, you won't appreciate it or you won't see it in your English, but these first three clauses or first three verses or first three stanzas in Hebrew, actually, these are acrostic, meaning like Lamentations 3, 1, 2, 3, they all start with Aleph, with the A. So everything starts with A in Hebrew. Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, Vav, Zayin, Chetet, Yod, Kav, Lamed, Mem, Nun, Samek, Ayin, Pei, Tzadik, Hofer, Shin, Tov. That's the Hebrew alphabet. So in 31 to 33, everything there is with the Kaf, or the letter K. Now, it's important for us to understand this because in Lamentations chapter 3, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hunger, in the midst of starvation, in the midst of judgment, they're lamenting, they're crying out that they're suffering as a people of God, their identity as a people of God has come under attack. They're like, who are we? Why, why? we're supposed to be God's people? We're experiencing punishment from our enemies and these are wicked people these are idolatrous people what's going on God and they're waiting for God to deliver them and so in Lamentations chapter 3 verse 31 we see here that in the midst in the thickness of the heaviness of life they're proclaiming or they're declaring the steadfast love of God that they they are waiting with love or waiting in love. And here's the main point this morning. Would you write this down? Here's the big idea. The permanent, steadfast love of God will preserve us in our temporary suffering as we wait for the second advent of Christ. It's a mouthful, so let me repeat that again. The permanent, I'm putting two things side by side here by way of comparison. The permanent steadfast love of God will what? Will preserve you. God will keep you together. God's love will hold you together in the midst of our temporary suffering as we wait for the second advent or the second coming of Christ. And here's the first point. Would you write this down? Though God may work severely, he always loves tenderly. Though God may work severely, he always loves tenderly. Where do we see that? Look at verses 31 to 32. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though God causes grief or God works grief in us and God allows us to go through suffering and hurt and loss, look at verse 32, but though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. You see here, there's two 
comparisons with something that is temporary, which is our suffering, or something temporary, which is God's judgment or God casting us aside, to the permanence of what? God's love or God's steadfast love. And I want us to look at two words in here, set, why we could continue. Look at verse 32b. He will have what? Compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. The word compassion there is the Hebrew word racham, which is, occurs 32 times in the Old Testament. Um, eight times it's translated as compassion, three times as mercy. Sometimes it's translated as love or merciful. The word compassion there means to love deeply or to have mercy, to have compassion to be compassionate and have tender affection for. That even though we go through severe hardship, even though you and I go through severe heartaches and severe loss, the compassion of God is steadfast. And his compassion, accord, he will have a compassion according to what? His steadfast love. Now, the word steadfast love is where we get this rich term in Hebrew called chesed. Chesed, chesed is like this mercies of God. This is what's used in Lamentations 3.22, where it says in Lamentations 3.22, because of the Lord's great love, because of the chesed of God, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail, that they are new every morning. Look at Psalm 30. This has, carries the same idea between the temporal and versus the eternal purpose or love of God. Verse 4 it says, Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. That God may work severely in us, but he always loves us tenderly. That though, even though that the things, the sufferings that you and I go through, it could be severe at point, but it is temporal and it is short-lived. Isaiah 54, 7, for a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. One of the most traumatizing and phone call that I received as a pastor was about maybe five years ago, four or five years ago, where our dear um, sister Felicia called frantically at six in the morning, says, Pastor John, you need to come over. My son Blaze is dead in our couch. We come over there and there's just complete mourning, complete sadness. They've been praying, I mean, they, 
Blaze has just come home. He just graduated from NYU with a master's in college admissions. Just was a college admissions director at Chaminade University. He, he's only been home to Hawaii for three months. I think he was 27 or 28 years old. He didn't even unpack his boxes and he came home that night. He's like, oh, mom, I have a headache. Do you think you could massage my head? And that night, he passed away from um, cardiac failure. And then the severity of this situation, and you know, as parents, or not even as parents, but as adults, we've gone through it, right? In other words, we think we're so smart, we think we're so educated, oh, we went to college, and we know it all. And uh, Blaze, you know, kind of went to church, but kind of wandered away from the Lord and not really got connected to a church. And it's kind of like the statistic of those who, used, who grew up in church but walked away from the faith. And uh, Felicia was just going through so much heartache and grief and shock. And we were there, and I had no words. I just wept with her be present with her, cried with her, and Renee was there, and we, we were there for about three or four hours, and that was, when we came home, we took like a three-hour nap. It was just so draining, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And, you know, Felicia, going through that loss, she's trying to find an answer, mainly, Lord, Lord, is, is Blaze with you? Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, you... You, allow, you took his life, you allowed him to pass away, and wh what am I going to do? Like, is he even saved? Is he in your presence? What's going on? And she went through almost, almost a week. She went through days and days and days looking through a lot of uh, blaze of stuff, you know, unpacked boxes. And as she was going through, she saw the baptism certificate of Blaze with Pastor Wayne and Pastor Rod at New Hope. And this is the tender love of God. Okay? Because Blaze passed away August 6, I think it was 2014 or 2015. And the baptism date was August 6, 2000. Though God's work may be severe, though our trials may be severe, his love is tender. That he is gonna leave you a personal touch. There's a book by Ron Mel called Tender Commandments. It's a short read, it's a great book if you get a chance to do it. And he proposes that you know the Ten Commandments are not like legalistic uh, rules and regulations, but he, he presents it like, man, the, tender, the Ten Commandments are tender. And he talks about his wife, that um, his wife went out, or yeah, his wife went out for groceries, but he, so he was left there at home by himself, and then as he was walking around the house, he saw post-it notes, one in the refrigerator. You're a man of God, I'm so proud of you. It's like, oh. And then goes to the room, and there's another post-it note. 
I love you so much. I'm so glad you're my husband. And all throughout, there was these tender notes, love notes. And God, he allows us to go through certain things. And it may be severe in, in moments of time, but his love for you is so tender that he ministers to you in a love language that you understand, that I understand. Think about the moments in your life where you've gone through such heartache, such pain, such loss, and God gave you a word. Maybe you got a text, maybe you opened a Bible, maybe you saw a rainbow, whatever it is that God ministered to you and God showed his tender love for you. See, in the season of Advent, it is the tender, steadfast love, the chesed of God that holds us together. It is God's love for you that will keep you alive, that will keep you from falling. It is God's compassion for you, his mercy for you, something that you don't deserve, something that you could not come, cannot come up on your own that he pours into you and his love holds us together. The steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Secondly, would you write down that trust the heart of God when you cannot trace his hand. As we wait for the full consummation of God's love, would we trust his heart even though we cannot trace his hand of what he's doing. Let's look at verse 33. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Ezekiel says that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. That the heart of God is to seek and save that which is lost. The heart of God, the heart of the Father for me and for you is abundant life, life everlasting. And in the meantime, as we're going through it, um, could, you, could we just be real uh, this morning? I know it's a little bit heavy, but could we, we be real that that we would mourn and that we would grieve. I think us here, Western culture, we don't grieve well. If you look through like even Filipino culture or um, uh, Latin culture or the Middle East culture, they would have seven days of just straight vigils and waiting and mourning. After a year, right, they would just um, have a time, a year of grieving. And they would, I don't know, Filipino culture, they, have, you know, they call it death anniversary, where they remember the death and they would still remember and they would still grieve. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to mourn. And sometimes as believers, we wanna skip the mourning and we wanna go straight into faith as if feelings are not allowed when faith is present. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus know 
that he would bring Lazarus and resurrect him from the dead? Was Jesus surprised that Lazarus died? No, he knew, right? Let me ask you this. Did Jesus still weep? He still mourned. Not to go through the motions, but he allowed himself, because he's fully human, to experience and to stay and be present in the moment and have this season or this moment of grief and sorrow and mourning. Jesus knew he would heal Lazarus and he approached the tomb and he saw everyone weeping. But Jesus didn't scold the disciples. He didn't tell them, hey, you guys, where's your faith? Don't you know I'm the son of the living God that I could raise him from the dead? He didn't offer a half-hearted explanation, right? He didn't hashtag ATW. What's ATW? All things work for the good. Don't worry, guys, I got this. But what did John 14 or John 15, 11, 35, the shortest verse in the whole Bible is what? Jesus wept. Jesus mourned along with those who mourned. It is fitting. It is human. It is how you and I have been made. And Jesus models that feelings and faith, listen, they're not mutually exclusive. I've said this before that fear is what if. What if this? What if I'm feeling this? What if I'm going through that? That's fear. What if? What is faith? Faith is what? Even if. Though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Even if I'm going through this, even if my feelings are opposite of praising God, even if that, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to praise God weeping. I'm going to praise God mourning. And I'm praising God with anticipation, knowing that his love holds me together. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, gives us the heart of the Father as we grieve and mourn. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. Let's jump down to verse 10 and 11. They disciplined us, meaning our earthly fathers, for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. that you and I trust the heart of God, that we take in what we feel. We cannot, you know, I said this before, that our feelings aren't necessary, may not necessarily reflect reality, but our feelings are real, okay? And so, I wanna close with this uh, quote that uh, Brother Evan uh, shared with me, and I think Chell shared it, at uh, Samantha's uh, memorial service. It's by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, 
who is uh, one of my favorite theologians. Um, Just his work on discipleship has changed my life. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer says something very interesting and very profound and deep about grieving and mourning. Here it is. There's nothing that can replace the absence of someone dear to us. And one should not even attempt to do so. One must simply hold out and endure the pain. At first, that sounds very hard, but at the same time, it is also a great comfort. For to the extent the emptiness truly remains unfilled, one remains connected to the other person through it. It is wrong to say that God fills the emptiness. God in no way fills it, but much more leaves it precisely unfilled and thus helps us preserve, even in pain, the authentic relationship. Furthermore, the more beautiful and full the remembrances, the more difficult the separation but gratitude transforms the torment of memory into silent joy. One bears what was lovely in the past, not as a thorn, here it is, but as a precious gift deep within, a hidden treasure of which one can always be certain. So, this Christmas season with this magnifying glass, whatever season you're at, maybe you're in the peaks and the valleys and everything is all good in the hood. Or maybe you're down in the valleys and you're just suffering and you're you're dying, you feel like you're dying out in a vine here. Would you rest and trust in the love of God? Would you anticipate and remember and wait upon his return in his second advent that Jesus Christ is coming soon, that he will make all things right? And that's where we fix and that's where we anchor our hopes, our dreams, our aspirations. Until then, grieve well, mourn well, celebrate well. Rejoice well, whatever season that you may be at, do it so and embrace every moment. But yet, let's fix our eyes on the return of Christ. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. And we do ask, oh God, as your word says, that we rejoice with those who rejoice, but Lord, we also mourn with those who mourn. Father, we need you through every season of our life. Lord, just like Solomon asked, Lord, don't make me poor so that I have to beg and steal and sin against you. But don't make me too rich that I will forget you and neglect you. So, Lord, whatever season that we're in here this morning, I pray that we would watch for your return. 
Lord, whether we're in celebration, Lord, celebration is temporary, just like pain and suffering is temporary, but we look through the permanence of your love. So, Father, I pray this morning that you would strengthen your people. Would you give them grace upon grace, Lord, that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. And so, Lord, we anchor everything, Lord, to you. We put our hope, Lord God, in your advent. We put our hope, Lord God, that you love us, that there has never been a moment in our lives, in our existence, that we have been unloved, that your love is constant, it remains the same. Your love is unconditional. So Lord, that is where we default, That's, that is where we find our home, That's, that is where we find our rest, in your chesed, your steadfast love for us. And so Lord, we love you, we worship you this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, hallelujah. Let's go ahead and stand together.